Ed, you ever been to Burnley? Burnley? No. I was wondering what percentage chance there was that you would repeat the accent you just did before we started recording. It's not good, is it? I mean, I've never been good at accents. No, but I, I greatly appreciate the fact that for what I think is the first time in the history of the podcast, you've tried one. That's good. <laughs> 303 episodes in or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. I can't even do my own, my, uh, my uh, you know, own neighbourhood accent. So, yeah. Uh, that, well, isn't, uh, isn't, being a child of the world does that for you. Isn't this your own neighbourhood's accent at the moment? Uh, how are you, Tarquin? No, hello. <laughs> jo- jolly good. Uh, no, it's not. Um, where, where, where were we? Uh, Andalect. Andalect. We were in Andalect. Andalect. It was, it was not good. The first half was great. Yeah. Remember the first half? It was great. Sort of. We, um, we completely dominated, made loads of chances. Andalect looked, Andalect looked terrified. They looked like they thought they were playing, you know, Man United as opposed to whatever it is we are now. Um, and then at half-time, their manager seemed to say to them, you do know this is like 2017 Man United. You, you will be fine if you just try and play. And our- Yeah, and then and Jose Mourinho then reinforced that by uh, <laughs> trying to play, uh, well, we keep what we've got with about half an hour to go. doesn't always have good results, although we'll come on to Chelsea where it did have good results. Um, but uh, but over in Brussels, it kind of encouraged Anderlecht to get on the front foot. In the first half, we had 68.8% of possession, won 11 aerials to five, uh, seven completed dribbles to one, eight shots to three. Um, so, you know, and their pass success rate was like under, under 70% within the first half. Uh, in the second half, those numbers were remarkably different um united uh, down to under 60 percent possession seven shots to Anderlecht's nine that being the kind of key difference um and Anderlecht's completing completing more successful dribbles than us in in the second half so yeah that tells I, i'm story. not sure i've got any data to prove it but you know i get a sense that every time or almost every time jose Mourinho. Um, uh, makes a defensive-minded substitution. You know, it's his, his kind of instinct, isn't it? It's like, well, we're, we're leading, so we're going to try and hold this, uh, which he did when he brought on Fellaini. Um, it, it kind of plays negatively with this Manchester United side. And um, and I just wonder, you know, it obviously worked uh, so well at Chelsea where he did that an awful lot, especially in his first spell at the club and, and into slightly different um uh, a couple of famous games where he just played that way the whole game. But this, you know, but but the 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 kind of mentality it seems to have on this Manchester United side, which is three years um, taking a battering in terms of confidence, seems to be a bit negative, and they seem to retrench into themselves when he brings on a, a more defensive-minded player for an attacking one. He took he took off the three supporting attacking players um, in Rashford, Mkhitaryan, and Lingard, and. And uh, only Martial was a like-for-like, you know, the other two more defensive-minded, and it seemed to just pull United into their shell. Yeah, although, for the in the interest of balance, we should say that really only the only one of those which was significant was the Fellaini sub, and it, it was 74 minutes into the game. I, I think you're absolutely right, and I, I completely agree about what happened to United. The last sub kind of almost doesn't count because it was, you know, it was in the, the dying embers of the game sort of thing. It was very strange because we'd gone 1-0 down. One, Well, they'd got back to one all by that point. It seemed really weird that he brought Fosu Mensah on in that way. Um, but, yeah, it, so Martial was a like-for-like, and then it was it was the 74th minute by the time he brought Fellaini on. 
um, we should have still been all right. But as people, few people pointed out on Twitter, like obviously we all know that bringing Fellaini on to close out a game isn't great. Specifically, uh, in a game in which he will massively enliven the opposition crowd. Because apart from Old Trafford, there's not many places where Fellaini would get as hostile a reception as at Anderlecht. Yeah, um, apparently. I mean, uh, he he uh, surely will get a hostile reception on the training ground after that defensive performance, though. Um, he was uh, presumably brought into the game to uh, to help United defend. He didn't go and play up front, did he? Uh, and uh, he completely left his marker, um, who then ran past him, uh, out-jumped Marcos Rojo and, and scored the equalising goal, Den Donko, who we talked about on last week's podcast. Um, so, you know, it was, I have to say, pretty disappointing from Fellaini, although not unsurprising. No, and we'll come on to some Fellaini praise, obviously, later on in the show. Um, all in all, in the first were half, we? United were... Well, <laughs> let's, let's see. Um, uh, all in all, United were really coherent in the first half, really incoherent in the second. In the first half, it was... It felt like same old, same old. We missed a ton of chances. There was that Lingard one where he hit the post from a couple of yards out. Uh, even the Mkhitaryan goal came from a, a rebound, didn't it? Um, uh, and But but they looked completely overwhelmed. Uh, Yuri Tillemans, who George Knott talked about on, our, our, on the excellent interview you did with him last week, Ed, that was very informative. Um, Tillemans, a lot of attention on him, obviously, around the world. Uh, he kind of very underwhelmed in the first half, but he he got into it in the second half and put in a couple of pretty dangerous passes and and you know. put in a couple of reducers as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, no, he he uh, he really started to uh, you know make Anderlecht tick in the second half. You can see why people are quite excited about him, uh, although you know. Uh, he was playing Maran Fellaini for the last 15 minutes, so we're discounting that part, portion of his good play. So half an hour of good play from him. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, Anderlecht were, were much more on the front foot or just seemed to have more confidence that they could do something. And United started to retrench back into the 18-yard line area. Um, Pogba, worthy of a special mention from the United point of view in that game, just putting up good numbers all the way through the game looked looks he and and we saw this again against Chelsea I mean he he spoke before that game he he was the player sort of nominated for the press conference and he um he spoke about the expectations on him and and the fact that all, what he wants to be is a very good midfielder and that's he he's kind of put in two real good midfield displays in in the last uh, couple of games right he said he said, people think I don't score enough. Uh, and uh, maybe that's true, but I'm there to assist and help the team. Um, so I thought he was quite clear about what he thinks his role in the team is. Um, and of course, you know, not having those those uh, YouTube moments, vinable moments, uh, has kind of hit the, the perception of him, I guess. But his numbers are great. His numbers are great. I mean... Um, puts uh, yeah, makes creates more chances than any other player in the Premier League. Um, has passed more passes than any other player in the Premier League. Uh, covers tons of ground, um, uh, and you know he's he's got a decent number of assists. Not as many as I'm sure he would have expected, given his sort of Juventus numbers, um, and, and would have scored double figures in terms of goals if he didn't hit the post all the time. And, and, you know, like, never mind, he would have expected more assists given his Juventus numbers. He would have 
give expected more assists given the chances he's created for his teammates this season. That's you know, it's not his fault they haven't finished them in a in a lot of in a lot of cases. And he said that in not quite so many words, but uh, he was very polite about it. But yeah, uh, clearly he wanted to make that point. You wouldn't swap him for another midfielder in the Premier League, would you? I mean, I definitely wouldn't. No, wouldn't, no, no. I think wouldn't even consider it. You know, to to get to that sort of next stratospheric level, he wants to score a few more goals, right? Double double figures. I think a player of his talent and shooting ability, and the fact that he, you know is able to get ahead of the ball doesn't perhaps as often as he could. Um, uh, you know, you you on that, and then then the assist level, the numbers need to go up. But that's not sure that's his fault. Um, I, look, he's had a very fine season for United. Uh, the people that are, are saying otherwise are jumping on a bandwagon. I see. Um, uh, we had a hit piece in the Mirror this week um, uh, on him. You know, I think I think the journalist uh, who you know uh, who has covered United for very many years. Uh, doesn't appear to have seen many games because uh, said but he was. Who was it? Do you know? Yeah, I, I know. I'm not even going to mention his name. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and there've been a few like that. You know, there've been a few like that, and uh, you know, some some of them about Pogba have uh, veered into very dangerous territory. You know, talking about his sort of. Um, uh, physical attributes versus his uh, effort levels, you know, yeah, um, and 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 some are just flat out wrong because his numbers are fantastic and they just show that he's had a very very effective season for United. Uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan was real good, which was nice to see because um, he's been he'd been a bit flat lately, and it was good to see him even before the goal. He looked really lively in that game against Anderlecht, which was nice, um, and Rashford also looked like he was kind of maintaining because he'd scored hadn't he in the game before that which I think was Sunderland um and then yeah he, he kind of seemed to take that confidence forward and and obviously well shall we just get on to it or have you got anything more to say about the Anderlecht game no other than it was just it was pretty disappointing and yeah. it felt like it was a pattern yeah uh, of uh of um games that United have uh have let slip this season I mean, one one thing I would say is, you know, the conclusion, of course, is that it'll be a much more difficult tie at, at Old Trafford than could have been expected, I guess. I mean, you know, in one of these two-legged ties, um, Anderlecht would have had to score either way, right? Mm. Um, you know, they've, they've got to score at Old Trafford to go through because United have the away goal. They would have had to score if United had a lead, which they don't now. Uh, but it means that... Um, uh, Mourinho is going to have to play as strong a side as possible, and that that I guess factored into his starting eleven for Chelsea. Although he denied it in the uh, the post match press conference. Well, I was going to say no surprises in the starting eleven uh, for the game against um, Anderlecht. An absolute hatful of surprises, and and you know you looked at that starting eleven, and we all did the same thing. Like everyone did the same thing. Um, of of kind of going, oh, well, he's just given up on the league, right? But no, it turns out, actually, it was just that he had a master plan because uh, the best United performance since the 4-2 against City in the Van Gaal purple patch? Yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, um, the, the reason why everyone had that reaction is, is uh, one, it said, uh, we're, we're focusing on the Europa, uh, and with the uh, the likely champions coming to town, that's not what United 
fans want to see. Uh, we don't want uh, any of our managers like uh, actually or implicitly saying we're second best. Uh, and it felt like that. Uh, and the other is that I think we assumed we'd get a very defensive-minded performance out of United and, and uh, we'd effectively play, be playing a, a flat-back six. And actually what happened is that Mourinho defended by going on the attack. Um, it, you know, United played with a very high press. Three at the back, but three at the back was kind of slightly, almost incidental. And three at the back actually helped United play two up front. So they played with a very, very high press, uh, picked out David Luiz and Cahill, uh, which had been the plan at Stamford Bridge in the Cup game, uh, picked on them. Mourinho said afterwards, basically said afterwards, they're not as good as they think they are. Uh, they're not as good with the ball, he said. Um, and, uh, you know, in terms of passing out of the back, they're not. Um, and United picked on that. Um, and uh, and in Ander Herrera, they had the player who's man of the match by a country mile uh, and who was absolutely outstanding, who did a job on as hard as he had planned to do at Stamford Bridge, but for what I still believe is a very harsh red card. Well, it wasn't... It, it, Herrera did the job that was assigned to Phil Jones at Stamford Bridge, mm. wasn't it? That's, True, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Although, though Herrera fully took part in the uh, yes, man-marking duties. Yeah, in, in the kicking of Eden Hazard, which was a different uh, story at Old Trafford. So uh, I spent much of the first half looking at it going, what formation is that? We're playing a back three. Is Darwin playing at the left of centre-back? How come he's always on the right? Because we were playing three at the back without the ball... And a kind of weird asymmetric four four two with it, where we just didn't have uh, because because Young was playing as a winger when we had the ball because Damian was going all the way across to to be the right back, and then when we didn't have the ball, it, what it was all it was all about man marking, wasn't it? Damian was a floating man who was able to just pick up Pedro the whole time. Either Rocco or Bay picked up. Uh, Costa, depending on where he stood, and Herrera took Hazard. I mean, you know, Herrera stuck to Hazard like glue. Damian almost as sticky with Pedro, not quite. Didn't didn't kind of cross the field when when Pedro crossed to the other flank. Um, so didn't break United shape to that extent. But any time he was on um, the same half of the pitch, vertically speaking, as as Damian, he went with him. Um, I mean, too many good performances to. I mean, I guess let's just go through the whole team, shall we? Well, De Gea didn't really have to do anything. Uh, <laughs> no, no shots on target from nope. Chelsea. Uh, only three shots in total, which will tell you something about how good United were defensively. And and this is not United side that had twenty percent possession, by the way. You know, forty seven percent possession. Well, and yeah, and and that and that possession stat is even a bit misleading because we had sixty percent possession in the first half. Right. Um, uh, Bay outstanding. I mean, just just. Classy all over. Rojo did a brilliant job on Costa, uh, mainly winding him up. Um, and Costa is, you know, is the pantomime baddie and uh, played his role very well. Damien, um, Damien didn't panic, you know. He, he spent much of his time as a, the third central defender um, and looked very comfortable there and, and just drifted out to, to left back when he needed to. Um, Valencia did fine job at wing back, as did Young. Both pushed forward, kept their, their men back. I mean... Um, you know, it was a a real boon that Alonso couldn't uh, for United days. Alonso couldn't play because he is much better going forward than Aspilicueta. Um So you know, bonus for United. Uh, and in midfield, Pogba outstanding. I don't think his numbers were perhaps as high as they have been. You know, he made seventy five passes or whatever, and um, some of them were a bit erratic. But I thought the ability for him to keep pushing forward. 
kept Kante very busy. You know, Kante in the end panicked uh, for United's opening goal. Uh, Fellaini had a very, very good game in midfield. Mm-hmm. Don't, oh, don't say that very hello. often, do hello. we? Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> was, that, was that the praise that you seemed to suggest might not be coming? <laughs> uh, you know, not bad for him. Uh, that's the one in ten, right? <laughs> uh, and Herrera was absolutely outstanding, you know, I mean, just, what? just, just, just superb. Uh, everything. I mean, not not just great defensively, which he was, but uh, broke forward too. It's not as if he just sat there all the time when you know he had the opportunity to go. He went goal and an assist for Herrera. Yeah. You know, like um, it was Herrera that started the ball rolling. I mean, started the ball rolling down his hand, along his wrist to his arm to kind of nudge it into position. Um, his arm was in a natural position. That's fine. That was no problem. Uh, yeah. That's what he said. Yeah. I was running. My arm was in a natural position. I, I think that's, you know, he's lucky because a lot of referees would have called that if they'd seen it. And I'm not sure that Bobby Madley did. I think Madley saw it. I think I think he made a little, I've seen it, it's not handball move with his hands, you know, a little referee jiggle. To suggest he'd say <laughs> referee <laughs> jiggle, yeah. yeah, and and I tell you what, you know, we, we haven't got onto the the forwards. I mean, Rashford oh, was obvi- obviously outstanding, um, but Lingard played a, a massive role for seventy minutes or so, um, and uh, in support of Rashford, and and the fact that United could play two up there not only helped with the press, but just kept kept um, Chelsea's back three occupied all the time, especially Louise. I mean, you know, what was it? Three minutes in when Rashford burst past in the first time, couldn't finish. Yeah. Uh, and I think his number was his number was up from that moment on. The pass from Herrera after the handball is one of the passes of the season. And, you know, uh, we had that... Somebody asked us about it on Twitter, whether that counts as a counter-attack goal. And that's kind of what I was... I was it's goals like that that I was thinking of when I guessed at 10 counter-attacking goals last week. Um yeah, that's definitely not a counter attack no, goal, but uh, it's just a breakdown in position. Yeah, it's that sort of half so, counter, isn't it? It's the it's the high press working basically, um, and that the through balls. I mean, that's one of the one of the majestic through balls of our time, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, it is. You need to see that from behind to get the real feel of the weight and the bend that he's put on the ball. So from the normal camera position, it looks like a straight pass just into the channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was much better than that. Herrera um, found Rashford, who obviously had Louise on toast, like physically and technically all day long. Like he beat him for pace with that one. But there were numerous times when he used his touch because actually the ball in behind, he didn't necessarily get there always like behind Louise in space. He he got the ball and, and worked opportunities and openings. He took that goal brilliantly and you slightly wonder if Thibaut Courtois might have saved that um but nonetheless it was it was a fine finish and and fantastic for Rashford and you could see the confidence flowing through him I mean we'll come to the second half when when he was playing up up top on his own for far too long but even then he like got the ball beat four men and got a shot on target you know Mm. if you were being ultra critical yeah. Uh, of the finish, you'd say he didn't hit it cleanly and he hit it into the ground and that actually uh, helped him beat Begovic because it, uh, it was uh, not all on the ground. Might have uh, caught Begovic's legs otherwise. But um, no, I mean, he's, uh, he's uh, timed his run perfectly, millimetres on side um, and uh, cut across Luis, which he had to do and then got the shot into the corner. Perfect. Yeah, and and the... 
you know, so you said rightly, Herrera was man of the match by a mile. I kind of, I said this on the full-time Devils thing after the game, but Rashford was kind of man of the first half. Like he was just, he was just electric all the way through that first half. Um, but I completely agree with you about Lingard. The two of them link up excellently. And this is this game is such a good argument for we do not need to buy a young striker in this window. Like, it's fine to buy Griezmann because, you know, if that was Griezmann up and Rashford up top, you can see that working beautifully as well. Um, and Lingard would still get plenty of opportunity. But if you buy Lukaku... For example, a 24-year-old striker in his prime, then you know Rashford's going to have five years of not being first choice centre forward. And you know this was against Chelsea; they're, they're the, the league leaders. They they were the champions elect until a couple of weeks ago, and Rashford made them look completely ordinary. Yeah, uh, and uh, I mean, he certainly did. And the only reason why um, United might be thinking about Lukaku. Uh, is that he's a better finisher for now, yeah? And, and yeah. Rashford's had a season and a bit in the in the team. That is it. Yeah, and 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 much less than that at centre forward. Um, to go back to Pogba, who you mentioned, just a word for the incredible tackle on Costa. Um, so I was watching that, and I kind of, you know, he goes, he travels miles to to catch up with Costa, and then as he slides in fully expecting the referee to blow for a foul because I couldn't see from where I was. But watching it on telly, like, afterwards, that's a miracle tackle. That's a that's an £89 million tackle right there. What an incredible, uh, just precision move. Not too many players could do that, I wouldn't have said. No, and it got the crowd going, didn't it? Um, and, uh, you know, look, we don't expect that from Pogba all the time. He doesn't have to go do that. Uh, but in the moment, it was uh, it was great for him, uh, a great piece of play, great recovery, um, and those are the things that will will kind of take his game onto another level. I, I wouldn't want to see him doing that all the time, though, because if he's tracking back constantly, a United are in trouble, and and b he's not in a position where he really causes trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I went to the game. It's the first game I've been to since Santa Chen, which was two months previously. As I pulled into the Lowry car park on my Spotify playlist, something tells me by Herman's Hermits came blasting on the playlist as I pulled into the car park. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe, just maybe today's the day. And then um, when I was on my way home, I was listening to podcasts and I decided I'm feeling a bit tired now, going to put some music on to wake me up. And uh, the, the Spotify playlist came up with This Is The One. I was like, oh, Spotify, you have blessed us this day with Manchester United-themed content. Very, very apt coincidences. Um, you mentioned Marcus Rocco and Eric Bailly, both uh, both very good performances. The kind of performance which make you think that the theory that the two of them might be the best United centre-back pairing of the current crop is not wide of the mark at the moment. No, I mean, I mean uh, on form this season... Those are the United's two best central defenders, right, in terms of performances. Uh, and they look good together. Uh, Mourinho complained about them having to play too much, but I don't think that's the case. You know, I don't think either of them has played too much this season. Um, and certainly not together. 
Um, and they've played a few games recently, but they're at centre-back, and I, I think you know they retain freshness a little more than the, the forwards, uh, so that's okay. They've done very well. I'm not sure it's a, a centre-back pairing that would win United the European Cup, but I could be wrong about that. Rojo is so much more comfortable in there than he is at left-back. You do wonder about his temperament sometimes and uh, wonder whether he's a red card waiting to happen. Um, he's certainly got less of them we he may have deserved given some of his tackling, but he was he was perfect in this game. You know, not a foot wrong really. Um, the United crowd. There's just there was something I wanted to say. This is this is a bit just personal. But I was sat in the northeast quadrant, and to my left there was an older couple, sort of probably late fifties to mid sixties, somewhere in that age. Uh, local. Classic kind of, you know, that kind of old school fan who just chat to you and treat you like family because you're Reds. You know, I'm sure you've come across many of those in your time. And then on my right was a family from some from a Far East, from somewhere in the Far East. And they were like, it was uh, a, a mum and dad and, a, and a, a little one who was occasionally like covering her ears, but was grinning for most of the game. And in front of me was a Swedish family where the dad and the son had uh, Ibrahimovic shirts. And I was just thinking, this is... Like, perf, and all of them were super into it, absolutely loving it. And it was just like, it was a kind of perfect summation of the different types of people you get at Old Trafford. And and there's a kind of, there can be a, a really nice blend to that. Um, and also just the atmosphere was incredible. Like, I was sitting right above the singing section. I hardly heard the away fans once. Um, not that they weren't making noise, but normally at Old Trafford, of course, you hear them a lot because the the home fans aren't aren't drowning them out. Uh, East End just burst into song apropos of nothing at least once in that game, which that just never happens anymore. So that was nice, um, and uh, and there was a, a real appreciation for Mourinho. There was a real sense of oh yeah, Mourinho's done the job here. This was. This was a Mourinho masterclass and his name was ringing out from uh, all four corners of the ground. Uh, 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 obviously, that was partly a kind of support of him because it's his old club and everything. And he, he you know, he went off tapping tapping the badge on his chest. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of yous now. I don't care about Chelsea, honest. <laughs> but yeah, it was uh, it was good. It was a good old Trafford day. Yeah, and uh, talking to Mourinho, his, his finest performance as United manager, I mean, it's the kind of one... It's perfectly set up for him. You know, this is the thing we um, we know of Mourinho, that, that kind of one-off tactical masterclass, I think a few papers have called it. But uh, um, understanding what to do in the moment in those big games, he's pulled off time and time again in his career, you know. Per- perfect for Mourinho, found the response, found the, the way to break Chelsea in, in perfect style and his players executed it. Um, thoroughly, and, and you know he should be very happy with it. And, um, his uh, his finest his finest day as United manager, I guess, apart from the, the cup final win and all that. Um, yeah, he looked a lot happier about this than he did yeah. about the cup final win. You know, it's not his biggest um, challenge though as United manager. I, I, I don't think you can walk away from a, a single victory over a, you know, albeit the I guess the best team in in the land, uh, and say yeah, job done because he can't pull off that kind of. Um, bespoke, um, uh, you know, tactical uh, approach in every game, right? And, and he hasn't, right? you know, when United have to force the issue, 
they haven't been able to do so. And that's the thing that will probably um, uh, keep United out of the Champions League. I say probably because uh, we've got away games at Arsenal, Tottenham and Manchester City to come. And and given that United's record against the top six this season is not good, and in fact hasn't been good since Fergie left, um, it's, you know, history, recent and otherwise, tells us that it's unlikely to happen. And that's the real failing. This was magnificent. Fantastic performance from United. Fantastic from Mourinho. He's got to do more. Um, and this has got to be fantastic almost every week, and it hasn't been. I mean, the one the one counter-argument to that, because there's, there's obviously true what you've said, but the one, the one kind of thing, caveat, I'd, I'd add, is that to win the league, you don't need uh, bespoke performances against everyone. You need bespoke performances in the big games, and then you need a system which generates you lots of chances in the other games. And we've had that for a lot of the season, at least. The, we'll, we'll, I had a chat with Alex Porter from Manchester Evening News, which we'll, um, which we'll, you'll hear in a minute. Um, and, you know, she was saying it took him like a third of the season to find his best team. But once he did, you know, United went through a long phase of creating tons of chances and not taking them. There's, a, there's an awful lot of results this season, not all of them, but an awful lot of results this season, which are not Mourinho's fault. And that the, yeah. the system should have worked and didn't, you know. Um, so, so on that that thread, one thing we haven't talked about: mm. no Ibrahimovic, and United looked way more coherent in attack. Now, are the two things connected, or or was that uh, by chance? Well, they're definitely they're obviously connected. But the flip side, you could say, well, I mean, Ibrahimovic hasn't <coughs> played in a front two all season, has he? Hardly at all. Maybe once. So, you know, he's been leading the line in a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 all season. Uh, and secondly, the, the, the whole team really turned up in this game in a way they, they sometimes don't. And this is, this is the, the reason that I kind of have not been able to get too giddy about what this game means for United's future because against Anderlecht, the biggest problem looked like complacency. Whenever United think they're better than the opposition, they kind of, because they often are, they kind of go through the motions. And, and in this game, they were clearly not going through the motions from start to finish. And obviously the system was set up to thrive with two really mobile forwards. And, and that was great to watch. And it, it seemed like fitting and effective and obviously would have been very different if Ibrahimovic had been there, but I don't think that necessary. I mean, like like we said last week, this is probably the first game of all the, the games where United have played well this season. This is the first one Ibrahimovic wasn't part of. Mm. Yeah, and and in fact, United couldn't have played that way with Ibrahimovic in the team, which kind of leads credence to uh, what Mourinho said afterwards, where he said, "Maybe I didn't rest players. Maybe I just picked the best team for this game." That's uh, what it looked like. It, I mean. It didn't look like that at minute zero. It definitely looked like that at minute 90 or 94. Um, And, you know, let's take him at face value on that one. He's, uh, for the first time this season, dropped Ibrahimovic for tactical reasons. Um, And United looked very good. It doesn't mean that we could play that way in every game. You know, certainly not, right? So um, I wonder whether United actually had more possession than Mourinho expected. Um, and you know it wasn't the, the idea wasn't to um, uh, hit Chelsea on the break as often as possible and then break them down in their defensive third when when we could with a high press you know and and just happened to have more ball than uh, 
than perhaps uh, Mourinho was really planning for. But um, c- can't do that every week. Can't do that against Burnley at home. Um, and and so you know he's going to have to find a system in which uh, not only do you create those thirty seven chances, uh, but a way of scoring them regularly. Uh, and you know Burnley has been repeated nine times at Old Trafford, um, and uh, he's got to fix that. And and the system he played uh, against Chelsea won't fix that. Uh, but you know it kind of points to a future beyond Ibrahimovic if he if he leaves this summer, which he might. You know, it seems like he's saying, "Okay, Champions League, or I'm going." Um, then, then there's some talent there. Yeah, um, talking of of Ibrahimovic, maybe uh, leaving this summer. This is one of the things I, I talked to Alex Porter from Manchester Evening News about. Um, let's let's hear from Alex. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Alex Porter of the Manchester Evening News. Uh, Alex is a football writer covering the Manchester beat. Um, And, uh, well, how have you found covering Man United this season? It's been excellent, but mixed, uh, I suppose. As a professional, you always want to be covering teams winning trophies, which they have done, but you also want to be covering them involved in a title fight when it's a team uh, like United or indeed uh, City. And from a United perspective, we've not had that, uh, but it's uh, certainly uh, full of intrigue at the moment in terms of uh, Jose Mourinho's first season. And it's fair to say that even though the title race is in London, thanks to United yesterday, uh, Manchester's still where there's an awful lot of attention this season, thanks to well Mourinho and Guardiola. So it's it's good to be right at the heart of it, really. Yeah, absolutely. So what have you what have you made of? I mean, I guess I guess it's fair to say from a football perspective, Guardiola versus Mourinho in Manchester has not lived up to its billing so far. Um, what have you made of of Mourinho in particular this season? Yeah, it's been interesting, hasn't it? Because he's, from my point of view, I think he's restored a bit of the United mentality to Old Trafford, which needed to happen after the last three years. He's restored a bit of siege mentality, a bit of winning mentality, a bit of uh, expectation. But on the other hand, it's from, again, from my point of view, he's not really met those expectations because he kind he came in riding on this white horse, uh, had a brilliant transfer window. I think last August, it was very difficult to fault him. The, the transfers that he made were excellent and suddenly it was a return to the previous days where needs were being actually addressed which was exciting. Um, so from it's then been a little bit disappointing to see United. Well, uh, they're not in sixth at the moment, which is which is great. Uh, but um, but <laughs> they are still fighting for top four rather than uh, fighting for the the top couple of positions. Which I'm sure Mourinho uh, is not his idea of fun either, to be honest. So, but then there's the Europa League. So um, he's he said at Chelsea wasn't too keen on the Europa League, but. He's, he's restoring a bit of prestige to the competition with uh, the Champions League qualification. Uh, so that's also look forward to as well in the next couple of weeks. So why do you think it has... I mean, I, you know, you say he's kind of brought back a bit of a winning mentality, and I, and I agree, although there's a strong argument to say that what he's really brought back is a drawing mentality, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but what have you... Um, what do you put down the kind of relative lack of success? What do you think have been the big issues? I think it's, uh, unfortunately, the fact that he took a while to work out what his best team was. And I think Marcus Rashford and Jesse Lingard yesterday uh, blew that wide open again. Um, So they lost a bit of time at the start of the season to that, which is funny to say when you consider that the first three games were actually good wins. Uh, But still playing Wayne Rooney at that time and then sort of phased Rooney out, but that, that took some time to happen. 
trying to get the best out of Zlatan Ibrahimovic, but also trying to get the best out of Rashford and Martial and Lingard and Mkhitaryan behind him took some time. And now we're at a stage in April where perhaps he's only just beginning to work out what that team is. And if you look at the case of Ashley Young, for example, who didn't get a game really before Christmas. And then since the end of January, has been a, a crucial player and actually wore the captain's armband against Chelsea. Uh, it's fair to say, I think, that he's still got some, some tinkering to do before he works out what his strongest team is and what the best way to get the best out of those players is. And, and sort of covering him on that kind of daily beat, do you think... Um... This is a slightly devil's advocate question here, really, because I don't mean, I don't, I'm not like setting this up like I don't think this. I'm just interested in what it looks like from close up. Do you think the kind of fire's still there? Do you think the the football intellect that kind of shook the world is still there in, in the way it was? Yeah, I think it is. I think his attitude has looked a bit different at United than it has at Chelsea, but that's that's because he's not in a winning position like he was there. He's having to adjust uh, the way he responds to people because the questions aren't all about, oh, you're at the top of the league. It, it's a question about, are, are you in sixth? And that's that's got to be hard for him to deal with because he is a winner, let's be honest. And that's the reason why he was employed. But I, I certainly think the fire is still there. And I think you saw against Chelsea little hints of that coming back. He, he looked the most animated on the touchline he's looked in weeks. And I think... It sort of mirrored the fans a bit, actually. If you if you speak to fans outside Old Chafford the past couple of weeks, there's been kind of a... Um, not a disinterest, I would say, but there's a kind of a, a flatter attitude coming in and the fact that, you know, people came in expecting the fact it wouldn't be a great game. And I think that's been, that's been mirrored in the manager and they've kind of fed each other. But I, I certainly think he, the fire is still there. And I think next season, when he's uh, had another year, another summer, another transfer window, I think he'll be uh, starting to snipe, snipe at reporters and bite people's heads off again. Um, what have you and your colleagues made of him uh, as compared to kind of the managers that have been around in the last few years in terms of his, his relationship with the, with the local press? Um, the relationship with the local press, I suppose, is no different to his relationship with the national press at the moment. Um, I wouldn't say that the locals get treated any better or worse. Um, they get pretty much the same access and, and the same treatment, really. Um, but the way he's been in press conferences, uh, I feel has changed a bit. Like he's, he's been... Um, he was on good form a few times. He's had a, a couple of press conferences which have been a bit more downbeat recently as there have been a, a few more draws. Um, but he's, he, you always get good good copy out of Mourinho. Um, I think you'll notice a difference if Guardiola and Mourinho have a press conference at the same time. You'll notice um, if for anyone who's got to, who covers both beats um, and, the, and a paper would only send one and they would normally cover both press conferences. There has been a bit of a tendency to favour United at times simply because you'll get better copy out of Mourinho, whereas Guardiola keeps his cards a bit closer to his chest, perhaps, which is, uh, is well, uh, perhaps his, his way of working and arguably uh, better for the way he wants to work, but from a uh, press point of view, it can be a bit frustrating. Yeah, I bet. Um, what's what's he been like to cover? He's been very interesting, and I think he's been quite different to what people expected coming in as well. Uh, I think people expected him to 
sort of like Mourinho, he's had very successful uh, experiences at Barcelona and Bayern Munich and has been heralded as the Messiah. I think certainly uh, City fans expected a little bit of that, him to, to come in and, and fix what's ailing them because Pellegrini was a bit like a sitting duck for the last 18 months. Um, and they've, they've also had uh, teething problems and they've certainly got a big summer ahead of them uh, to fix what is a, an ageing defence. So you mentioned summer, which brings us to the vexed question that... Um... I would imagine occupies an awful lot of a football reporter's interaction with the general public at the moment uh, because people have become rapidly obsessed with transfer rumours and the transfer market. What's it like to cover that stuff from the inside? It's really quite interesting, actually, because a lot of fans will tell you that I'm not interested in transfer gossip, particularly outside the summer transfer window in January. People say, oh, no, I'm not interested in that. I'd rather read about the the analysis. But consistently uh, across both clubs, so it's not just a United thing, you'll see that what does best is, is transfer is transfer stuff, whether that's a story we've sourced ourselves or whether it's uh, gossip from somewhere else. They are always the stories that do best. So you're not quite sure sometimes what to give the public. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear that the... Um, I mean, OK, I'm sure there's still uh, sort of slightly more maybe old school football supporters who will claim not to be interested in transfer rooms. But I don't think people, like definitely kind of uh, the internet football community is not exactly shy about uh, its obsession with transfer discussion, is it? What 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 are the big transfer stories that are going to happen this summer, do you reckon? Oh, put me on the spot a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's the it's the same names, isn't it? You've we're already starting to see the same names crop up over and over again. So from a, a United uh, perspective, you've got the futures of Zlatan Ibrahimovic and potentially uh, David De Gea to sort out. And that will inform the way they go with the rest of the thing. Antoine Griezmann is going to be the big one that occupies us this summer in the same way that Paul Pogba, la- Paul Pogba was last summer. Um, but certainly if Zlatan goes, you're looking at Griezmann plus aye, another striker to come in as well. So uh, certainly uh, plenty of names that are going to be circulating with regards to that. And I think every Portuguese player has been linked with Mourinho since he's... Uh, taken over at Old Trafford so expect more of that as well um so this is not um this is not like a journalistic question this isn't like what do your sources tell you or anything this is this is a question <laughs> about sort of instinct a, a kind of reading of the tea leaves question the Griezmann thing if you had to would you bet on it happening or not happening at this point uh with a slight caveat if United qualify for the Champions League yes I would bet on it if they don't qualify for the Champions League probably not okay that's 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 a good that is a good caveat. So what does what's the kind of I know we have lots of people that listen to this show that are that are interested as like a lot of young football writers and stuff. Um, what what's the kind of uh, working day like for a football writer on the Manchester Evening News? Um, well, we have various shifts. If you it can be in any time between seven a.m. or you can start at two in the afternoon. Uh, for getting and uh, just have a little scout round, see what people are talking about because. Well, as well as bringing our news stories to the table, you want to kind of feed into what the fans are talking about, what uh, what the key talking points are. So after a game like Chelsea, for example, you come in and see, um, you might, you probably have a, a couple of pieces in mind that you want to write, whether they're opinions or whether you spoke to someone after the game uh, that they've got some quotes, ideally under Herrera, I suppose, and uh, and, and go from there. But certainly... Uh, if, it, if it's not after a game, you've, you've probably got a couple of ideas you want to formulate, speak to some people and um, and go from there. But it's it's a lot about 
talking to people, whether that's your sources, that's your contacts, or whether it's even fans as well, just to see what they're thinking about. And uh, because at, at the end of the day, what people are talking about is what people want to read about and write about as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and so, uh, what's kind of um, there, has there been anything that the fans have kind of gravitated towards this season that surprised you? Um, I suppose. With certainly you see Zlatan Ibrahimovic is not as popular as I probably expected. Certainly that that surprised me. Certainly in the last couple of months, potentially since since about February, I think certainly uh, there seems to be a lot more indifference to him than considering that he is United's top scorer. He scored 17 in the league, I think it is. And then you saw the reaction to the team sheet against Chelsea when he was left on the bench. There was uh, uh, almost mass hysteria on the internet, although it's uh, difficult to judge uh, everybody's reactions by the internet. There was uh, a lot of surprise there. And yet, if you talk to some people about him or if you write about him there doesn't seem to be quite that love for him that you might expect for a for a top scorer what do you put that down to um potentially i think the fact that he hasn't decided what he wants to do uh, after the summer uh, people are maybe a bit reluctant of getting their fingers burnt with Zlatan um but he comes in and he says these brilliant things doesn't he uh but perhaps he's he's and he's a he's a fantastic character a real maverick and he's certainly been an excellent free signing but potentially he's not as sort of united as as someone is someone else might be like if when Robin van Persie came in and made a similar sort of impact obviously he won united the uh, the premier league but he also seemed to uh, get United potentially a bit more than, than Zlatan does. So maybe it's partly down to that. Yeah, because it's almost like Zlatan's the big story in Zlatan's world, isn't he? V- rather than the club yeah. that he plays for. But I think I think it's got to do with on-the-pitch stuff as well. I think it's, it's you know, he's obviously scored a lot of goals, but people have had some serious doubts. About, I mean, he's missed, a, he's missed a, an absolute hatful of chances, right? He has. He's missed... Uh, He's missed the clear-cut chances as well, hasn't he? Because you can you can look at United and say, well, they, they can't finish their dinner, which is true. But there's also a lot of half chances that are going begging. But he's sort of missed chances that you really would hope a goal scorer of his calibre would would put away. Um, but is he he does score those goals? But perhaps he also doesn't bring as much to the all-round game like as someone like Marcus Rashford does, who can, you know, Marcus is, is nineteen and will will run all day and, and set up goals and. and even his running off the ball kind of frees up other people. So perhaps that's also an area of his game that Zlatan, at the age of 35, can't really be expected to bring to the to the party. So from a United perspective then, how would you hope that the rest of the season goes? Um, I think you've, uh, from a professional point of view and a United perspective, I think you've got to hope they go on and win the Europa League now. Uh, regardless of whether they get into the top four or not, because United is a club that's built on winning trophies. And so if Mourinho, at the end of his first season, can have won the League Cup and the Europa League, then you can say, all right, that's an extra two trophies added to the cabinet. It's given some players you might not have ex- that much experience of winning trophies, experience of winning trophies. Not many of them have, have won a trophy in Europe uh, from the current squad. Um, but I think it's there's going to come a point, potentially, where Jason Mourinho has to choose his priorities, whether it's Europa League or, or Premier League. But I think uh, the win over Chelsea means he's got to delay the, the decision a bit more because 
even if they win the Europa League, you, you don't want to be finishing ideally fifth or sixth and looking at teams who you think the United should be better than and having them finish higher than United. So while it's still a chance of top four, I think he's got to keep going for that as well because if he could finish in the top four and win the Europa League, then uh, really would, the critics would, would be put to bed for a little bit, certainly. Brilliant. Well, Alex, thank you very much for joining us. Where can the people find your stuff on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Alex Porter, M-E-N, or, or you can find me on Facebook if you do that sort of thing as well, uh, Alex Porter, journalist. But uh, And the manchesterudinews.co.uk is an excellent point of reference as well. <laughs> Brilliant. Cheers, Alex. Right, cheers, Paul. Uh, so massive thanks to Alex for joining us a, a very interesting conversation and and the point that she made about Ibrahimovic was was that um maybe one of the reasons that he's not quite as beloved as say like a Robin van Persie was in his first season although obviously we won the league that season um is because we don't know whether he's staying or going uh do you think that affects the way he's perceived well, look, it would play into a career that appears to be one of sort of ephemerality, right? He's he's never really stayed at a club that often. I mean, he's three years in Paris. Is that the longest spell he's ever spent with a club? It's got to be up there, hasn't it? It's got to be up there, yeah. Um, uh, he he moves a lot. And, and the mere fact that he hasn't signed when the deal's on the table, like... It's not for the money, I don't think. He's he's obviously an extremely wealthy man after all these years earning megabucks. Um, and he could earn mega, mega bucks over in China, apparently. Um, it's it's for something else, you know. Um, I, I, I'm not sure if I fully buy the Champions League argument. And, unless there is a deal on the table from another Champions, guaranteed Champions League club. Um, if it's LA Galaxy... Uh, that's something different. That's uh, that's. I'm not sure I can keep doing this. Uh, I'm going to enjoy the sun and a different, uh, different, um, different. Uh, I don't know climate and uh, football environment and all of that uh, in my last year of football. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to go back to the to the Chelsea game for a second, you know, you were saying during the Anderlecht game that there's been this pattern that Mourinho makes a defensive substitution and then United just let the opposition come onto them. And he did it again against Chelsea. He took Lingard off for Carrick and then was basically playing Rashford really, really isolated on his own up front. And I just wanted to point point out one moment, which is was further grist to the mill of why Ander Herrera is brilliant and should be United captain. Um, after about 10 minutes of fairly constant Chelsea pressure... He cleared the ball long right down the other side of the pitch. Um, and then he started going absolutely mad at everyone, holding his arms out and pushing forward to say, kind of, come on, everyone, push up. As a collective, let's all push up. We've got a territorial advantage here. We can we can press them high up the pitch. And that was the end of United sitting back. It just stopped happening right then and there. Yeah, the well, Young Young had the armband. Ander Herrera was the captain yeah. on the yeah. pitch, M- much like when Rooney had the armband and uh, Bastian was doing his uh, very talented pointing <laughs> for <laughs> a little in, while. Two goals in three for the Chicago Fire. Yeah, perhaps you should sign him. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, he's still looking a bit chunky, though. I, I'd, I'd be worried about him in Chicago. You know, deep dish pizza and all that. Uh Look, um, Ander Herrera is the leader in every sense. You know, fantastic leadership on the pitch in terms of his performances um, and his ability to uh, uh, understand the game 
uh, and his in-game management and his ability to get more out of his teammates, you know. Uh, he would not make a bad captain of United, given that he's on rotation to everyone at the at the moment. Yeah. Um, one one other thing, you know, he um uh he after he got the booking, um, Mourinho did the very sensible thing and basically passed off the man marking to Michael Carrick, who didn't have to do a lot. I mean, very different style of play. He just reads the game, but made one brilliant defensive header. Um, when uh, when the ball uh, went long from a break, uh, Chelsea break, uh, and if he hadn't made that. Um, Hazard could well have been through um, and, you know, did his job perfectly uh, in that moment for the last 10, 15 minutes. There was one, uh, yeah, it came on with half an hour to go, right? It came on at 60 minutes, I think, Carrick did. Which, yeah, uh, but he only, he only picked up the, uh, yeah, he right. came on at 60, but only picked up the man marking job uh, on 75 or so. Right, right, right. Herrera got booked. Yeah. Um, the other uh, brilliant Carrick moment was the through ball for Rashford to the one that went into the side netting. It was like, really, for a split second, I thought we'd seen another absolutely brilliant goal. And I would have been, I'd have been really happy for us to go to 3-0 up because, for, you know, from the moment Carrot came on, basically, from 60 minutes onwards, I was genuinely nervous because you, you really felt like United had given so much in this game and their, their kind of collective mentality is still relatively fragile. I would, you would not like to have seen what would have happened if Chelsea had got one back, would you? Yeah, it didn't happen though. So no, no, <laughs> let's no, not worry absolutely. about that too no, much. No, you know, some yeah. of us would like to get to sleep tonight uh, because <laughs> we have work tomorrow. Um, yeah, uh, it was it was it was wonderful and like such a buzzy feeling around the ground afterwards, and you know, lots of happy fans on the internet. Obviously, uh, just just a, a really nice moment in a in a not that brilliant season. The game that it brings to mind, of course, is. The the game in the thirteen fourteen season, when Mourinho's first back at Chelsea and destroyed Liverpool as they were trying to win the league, um, just out of spite. Um, <laughs> well, it's always the best thing to do uh, when beating Liverpool. A bit of spite, <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, so you wonder whether, and that of course became a platform for Chelsea. Uh, so you wonder whether whether this becomes a, a platform for the rest of the season, mm. for the for next T- season. Talking of Liverpool, and I hate to bring this up, but I feel like we should talk about it. Kelvin McKenzie. Just uh, so how how subhuman is this uh, scum of a man? Yeah, he's, he's one of the... I mean, he's just a terrible, terrible human being, isn't he? I mean, the thing about that column is it's a completely obnoxious column... It's probably not in the top five worst things Calvin McKenzie's ever done. No, that's right. Uh, on the Rancast uh, WhatsApp group, um, I said he probably should have been sacked a dozen times before now for uh, stuff. He's like, yeah, I'm deeply, deeply offensive man. Uh, funny thing is the, the Sun editorial team, who presumably signed off on this column, mm. don't appear to have been sacked either. Shame. No, and they denied, no, because, you know, the the thing about his Nigerian heritage, they denied knowledge of that, but the son of, of course, referenced that before, so that their argument doesn't stand up. Everton have uh, have banned the son, uh, and, you know, you get these journalists going, oh, well, the poor sports columnist shouldn't, shouldn't have to suffer because of this, and you just think, well, the poor sports columnist is covering football in Liverpool for the son. You know, it's not... I don't really have a great deal of sympathy for for that as an argument, really. I think I think they're 
not only do I think they're right to ban the sun, I think more more institutions should should say we don't want to live in a world where this kind of newspaper is given free access to us, is treated as equal to, you know, journals of record because they, they don't deserve it. Yeah, I mean, the danger of that, of course, is, you know, you uh, you politicise it to the point where you, uh, you're saying what is acceptable speech and what isn't. Um, and there's a question mark about whether that should be uh, okay at all. Right? You know, we don't have free speech. Uh, so a, lot, a lot of people seem to think that we have a Second Amendment in the, uh, or First Amendment, sorry, in the United Kingdom. We don't. Um, there are race-hate laws and there are very strict libel laws. So free speech doesn't exist, folks. Um, but, um, but you know, there's a like, kind of, you know, ethical question there. Should should he be allowed to say whatever he wants and uh, should uh, football clubs police it? But, you know, generally, I'm in agreement with you. I think Everton are right to say, I don't want to be associated with this guy and the organisation that supports him. And, and the, the free speech argument is fine. Like, even, even OK, you're right, there isn't, there isn't codified free speech, but there is a, there's a broad spectrum of acceptable speech um, in this country. And... The the thing that I never understand about when the right wing particular cry free speech is they're almost never talking about free speech. They're almost always talking about the reaction to free speech. It's like, yeah, you can say what you like or write what you like within the parameters of the law, but then you're going to get the reaction you get. And that's part of the process. So say an objectionable thing, you're allowed to say an objectionable thing. People are allowed to go, that's an objectionable thing. Talking of um, other offensive men, uh, John Terry has left Chelsea. Well, he's leaving at the end of the season, right? They're doing a they're doing a, a farewell tour for their captain, leader, legend. Uh, wouldn't it be funny if he uh, slipped and missed a penalty on the last day of the season uh, for Spurs to win the league title or something? <laughs> there was some real, real good John Terry chants because um, uh, Chelsea was singing "We're top the league," which was. Fair enough, like, of course they'd be singing that song, but that's the wrong tune to that tree off the whole, the whole ground into Viva John Terry charts. That was good. I mean, the Man United legend, right, is, is retiring. We should, we, should, we should mark this occasion. Uh, yes, yes, uh, his best moment ever in Moscow, in the rain, uh, as the tears fell. Uh, I won't miss him. Um, uh, what what um, turns out, uh, Chelsea supporting journalist. Uh, got a lot of retweets on a comment saying, uh, he's the finest one-club man ever. Uh, forgetting both that uh, most... he's not a one-club man. Uh, and uh, Neville Scholes and Giggs and, I guess, Maldini would have something to say about that too. Yeah, he says the most remarkable Premier British League uh, one club career. Yeah, um, read, read the thread. Uh, it's good because someone challenges him. Said, "Ah, oh, no, he had a loan at Nottingham Forest, actually." Uh, and the guy replies, uh, uh, "One club in the English league." I was like, "What?" <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, the kind of loan as a kid, I don't think stops you being a one club man. Where if Jesse Lingard retires. No, yeah. uh, at 35 at United, we're not going, oh, well, he had spells at Brighton on loan, you know. Um, so I, don't, I think that doesn't really disqualify him. But the idea that it's... I mean, John Terry was brilliant. Like, make no mistake, John Terry was an absolutely brilliant defender and has had one of football's most remarkable careers. But 
you know, Ryan Giggs won 13 league titles. 13! 1 3! 13! I know. Um, you know, like Ryan Giggs, uh, John Terry likes to uh, play away from home occasionally. So, so the rumours go. Uh, unlike Ryan Giggs, John Terry likes to racially abuse. Uh, fellow pros. That's not not a nice man by all accounts. Uh, include, Let's move on, shall we? Uh, and elect on Thursday. Uh, should we do some Twitter questions before we we give a, a cursory preview of the games coming up? Oh, well, now we're experts on Andalect. Yeah, go for I it. Was really, I was really good. We should we should more regularly talk to people about who know about the clubs United are playing against. I really enjoy it. Fully, yeah. fully agree. Yeah. We should do uh, that. I'm not. That's not a promise, by the way. That's not binding. You might well get more. I don't know. They're from Ukraine next season. Well, hopefully we'll be in the Champions League and we'll at least have heard of the clubs United are playing against. Um, okay, this is an interesting question from at Cryptic Android. With the exception of Rashford and Herrera, did United really collectively play all that well, or were Chelsea just exceptionally bad? I do think it is worth saying that even though I think part of this was about Mourinho's tactics negating them. They were collectively quite terrible, like lots of really sloppy mispra- misplaced passes and stuff. There were, but I mean, that I would I would say that the thing that made them bad was the fact that they were unable to um, react to what clearly surprised them. They were not expecting that uh, from United. They were not expecting though that that sort of system or approach. Maybe the system they might have done or approach from United, and they were unable to react and change and they didn't change and that was the remarkable thing really big question mark against Conte for me you know um he had four four championships in a row with Juventus but no real challenger to Juve in Italy um he you know Chelsea walked to this title but he did have a very good squad to start with big question mark whether he can react and you know I'm I'm not saying uh, he's suddenly a failure clearly not uh, but this was uh, this this kind of raises a, a flag that says, hmm, you know, someone outthought him for once, uh, and he didn't change it. Yeah, that's a, that is that's a really good point. And you know, his his public comments have been slightly strange. We're going to do a backers stuff about the the rest of the Premier League um, uh, at the end of the show. But you know, he was talking about Tottenham being the best side in the league at the moment and things like that, which is obviously kind of true. But you think. I don't know. Is that is that what's needed? I don't know. Obviously, he knows. He's forgotten more about managing a football team than I'll ever know. Um, loads and loads and loads of questions about whether Randa Herrera should be United's next captain, which I think, obviously, we we've we've talked about before, and is getting increasingly evident. Um, and actually, this kind of relates to what um, what at Cryptic Android asked about the uh, about how well United played. He mentioned Rashford and Herrera, but he didn't mention Marcus Rocco. And at Phil Anwill says, uh, "Is anyone else becoming a massive fan of Marcus Rocco? He improves every week." I'm, I'm yeah. Well, look, I, I like him when he puts in performances like that. I don't like him when he dives in with two feet or scissor kicks someone um, or when he plays at left back. All right, this is this is one for you, Ed. This is your your cruel, mean agenda that I've got nothing to do with. At A. Svillen says, who would you prefer in the starting 11 out of Rooney and Fellaini? <laughs> Hooney? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, Wayne Rooney uh, is clearly going in the summer, isn't he? 
Yeah, uh, as part of a swap deal for Lukaku. You know, these swap deals never, ever happen, except in like football manager or, you know, something like that. Well, the Navas De Gea swap deal broke the transfer computers, didn't it? That's how unlikely they are. Uh, in fact, at Stocky number six says, transfer swaps don't really happen, but is there any chance United grab Cruz or Varane if De Gea jo- joins Madrid this summer? I don't think we should. It's too, it's too early. We can't start transfer talk yet. All right, good. I'm, I'm glad. Although, although, uh, although, um, you know, Herrera is likely to be joining Real Madrid, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> g- given that they're desperate for Hazard. <laughs> yeah, and they'll be following him. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. That's good. That was a good football joke. I totally got it and everything. At Maz underscore man underscore UTD says, till this day, I still sing Mourinho, are you listening? It just fits. It's just confusing me now. What do I do? <laughs> you just need, you're like Mourinho are you listening why'd you keep dropping Martial you know you just have to change the lyrics up um, at Gary underscore 1105 says I know we're supposed to be all cool and blase about this but isn't it really great sometimes having Jose Mourinho as our manager it's been a mixed experience but Sunday was definitely one of those days where it's like it was it was full Jose wasn't it Jose went full Jose in a good way he went full Jose in a good way. It was very good, very enjoyable. Not enough of that so far. And uh, at Mark underscore E underscore F, Mark Ferguson, friend of the rank cast, says his former players say he tends to coach defenders and midfielders, but lets forwards play instinctively. Is this an issue? Talking of uh, the things that haven't been good enough so far. If he gives them the freedom within the system to do that, no, it's not. I mean, uh, look at the amount of goals that. Uh, Chelsea during, especially during his first spell, and Real Madrid scored lots, lots and lots and lots and lots of goals. Yeah. Well, talking of which, at Ritesh underscore R underscore Singh, uh, also a friend of the Rankcast, says, "Do you think Mourinho's team require a magic player like Robin Ronaldo or Hazard to work? I mean, I guess he should say Robin Ronaldo, Hazard, or Rashford to work." Well, look, a magic player. Uh, yes, there are potentially. There's potentially uh, Martial, Rashford and Mkhitaryan who could do that, right? And, and Pogba in a slightly different way, you know. Um, magic in, as in will beat two or three players. Um, you know, there's potentially some. They haven't done it often enough. Even Mkhitaryan, who's, you know, he's been a bit colder over the last two months or so, hasn't he? Um, so it, it will... It will play out in the summer because Jose will be thinking, are these players good enough to take United to that next level? At Attaché underscore J says, how shocked are you by the fact that Jose has given teenagers more minutes on the pitch than any other manager in the top six? I mean, the thing about this stat, which has been doing the rounds a lot, is it's a brilliant example of statistics being used completely without context. Because first of all, He's not giving teenagers minutes. He's giving Marcus Rashford minutes. Like, none of the other teenagers have hardly featured at all. Fossil Mentz has had the odd run out or whatever. And in terms of bringing through young players at United, that's that's the issue. It's about the management of young players. And if you're young, if you're, you know, you look at Tottenham, their young players aren't that are coming through aren't teenagers anymore. 
but Deli Alley's 20, I think. So it's it's kind of a technicality, really. And and so I think it's basically a meaningless statistic. No, I think that's right. Uh, you know, better one would be how many minutes were given to under 23s or something like that, you know? So how much trust is there in younger players generally? I, I don't know the numbers, but I'm going to guess it's not hugely high from Mourinho. Um, but the, the wider point you're making, you know, can can he bring through unproven players? Will he or is he able to trust unproven players who may not be the finished article? And kind of you kind of think, no, he's not able to trust, uh, generally speaking, those unfinished players. If he had a choice and a preference, he would pick the completed player over the incomplete one every time. Yeah. Would he abs- not? Absolutely. Absolutely would. Even in his post-match press conference, Rashford, one of Rashford's best games for United ever, still had time to mention that Rashford missed a chance early on. You know, so that's a kind of example of that tendency. Uh, at Nathan J. Wilco should be thoroughly ashamed of himself. So he says, if glass blowers inhale, do they get a pain in the stomach? Spelled P-A-N-E. Uh, honestly, P-A-N-E. Honestly, it's just not acceptable. It's just not ac- I shouldn't have given it airtime. Um, at Calais Calais 99 says, uh, do you want Leeds to get promotion to the Premier League? They could do it. I mean, they, uh, they're in a sort of five or six way fight, aren't they? Uh, in the championship, uh, Brighton, uh, promoted as we speak, uh, Newcastle presume will go up too. And, you know, there's a bunch of other clubs, um, uh, chasing, uh, Leeds are one of them. Um, I would enjoy it for two games. Uh, although, you know. You can enjoy 46 games of Leeds suffering in the championship. Oh, yeah, the championship. I forget what it's called. Um, uh, instead, so, you know, two games of uh, us hopefully beating them versus 46 games of them being down there. Hmm. Six points, though, isn't it? That'd be good. True. Although... That's hubris for you. Yeah, losing to Leeds is bad. Um, at Bridgman Bear says, are we going to win the league now? <laughs> It's a shame. Isn't it a shame? Isn't it a shame that we're not? Um, and yeah, so I, we've got so many more, so many more questions. Mathematically still possible <laughs> yeah. for another couple of games. Oh, actually, just one more. At Tom underscore McGee says, uh, how good was Mar- Marcus Rashford yesterday? Squirrel emoji equals naught. Guitar- electric guitar emoji equals 10, assuming you're familiar with this system. Uh, I'm going electric guitar emoji. Like I'm definitely prepared to go that far. Uh, well, since we're on guitars, I think uh, Rashford went all the way up to 11. <laughs> nice! Nice! Good work. Oh, I, I, I greatly enjoyed that, Ed. Uh, much like the game against Chelsea. So will we be enjoying the football when Man United play Anderlecht at Old Trafford on Thursday night? Surely. What system's he going to play? What lineups he going to play? What's going to happen? Well, I mean, Ibra will be back in the team because United will be pressing, right? Uh, Anderlecht um, w- will not be taking the game to United, uh, even though they have to win. Um, they are, they're going to come and try and play on the break. Uh, United will have a lot of possession. Um, Ibra will come back into the team. Rashford will be back out on the wing, I assume. I'm going to guess Mkhitaryan comes back into the side, maybe, you know, um, uh, since he didn't play against Chelsea and... And uh, we'll, we'll probably see something that looks more like a forty-three-one in terms of a system. And if should they can, be good enough. Yeah, if they can play like they did in the first half against Anderlecht, you know that that, that will make a big difference. All the Anderlecht yeah. uh, 
fans were going crazy for Lucas Teodorczyk. Um, who's their top scorer, and they they were desperate for him to come on. He ended up coming on really late in that game. I wonder if he'll, I wonder if he'll start in this game. Yeah, I, and I wonder, you know, big big unit, isn't he? So, um, probably probably yeah, give them give them gives them an out ball. Um, but look, the thing that will change it is the last half hour of this game. Uh, so imagine it's still nil nil on sixty minutes, and let have got to come out, you know, yeah. at some point, and uh, then the opportunities come. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I guess Romero will be back in goal because he definitely seems to be the Europa League keeper. Um, I guess kind of a big statement in a, in a way. In a way, I feel like I'd be, I'd much rather see De Gea in goal in this game. Uh, that seems kind of harsh on Romero personally, but seems like a weird time to be sentimental about this. De Gea is a much better keeper. We need to win this trophy. Yeah, uh, what is the benefit? Uh, unless it's some kind of pact with, and this this uh, argument has been made, some kind of pact with Romero to uh, keep him uh, as the number two, because he's not going to be number one if De Gea goes. I, I would hope not anyway. You know? Unless something's gone really yeah. well. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, what, what's the benefit? Don't get it. You know, yeah, I mean, if he makes, look, he's been pretty flawless this season, but if he makes a Swansea style Rickett and it knocks United out and it's the thing, you know, assuming United don't make it into the Champions League via the league, it's the thing that, that knocks United out of the Europa League. That That's a £100 million mistake. I mean, the th- you play your best team, don't you? Yeah, that, that's the thing because it's not like De Gea hasn't got a massive rick in him. I mean, he did it just the other week against whoever it was when, after uh, was it Everton? Uh, yeah, because it was Jaguar. Yeah, but you give yourself the best chance possible. But this is this is the thing. It isn't even the kind of percentage chance of a massive rick happening. It's, you know, if someone's putting a, a free kick into the top corner, De Gea's got a chance of making saves that almost no one in the world can make. Um, so that's that's the... It's it's almost like... It's the it's his exceptional quality. Missing out on his exceptional quality seems, seems a kind of... Seems a, a heavy gamble at this point, but he's done it all the way through this competition. I mean, I guess you could say there's kind of a difference between a first leg and a second leg because if we'd won that game 3-0, which we sort of should have done, um, if we kind of tucked away our chances in the first half, then Romero has a quiet evening. You can play him again at Old Trafford. But with the with the game poised like this, I wonder, I wonder what he'll do. It's going to be really interesting to see. It, it's odd to be sentimental about the, uh, the goalkeeping position, mm-hmm. right, if that's what it is. Mm. You know, he's going to play him because, well, he's been playing mm. him uh, when that's not been the case for any other position, really. Apart from the centre-forward. You know? <laughs> until, um, until that game. You know, he's not sentimentally playing Tim Fossey-Mensah because, you know, the lad no, needs a few minutes. Not. Well, he is, but literally for two minutes at the end of games. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I think United will win this one, but I think it will come late. So it's, you know, a few, few nail biters and then it'll open up and United will win sort of 2-0 or something like that. All right, I'm going to go I'm gonna go 3-0 because uh, they'll crumble when Rashford scores a, like a first-minute blinding goal. All right, and then there's uh, Burnley afterwards. Yeah, so Burnley, what a season they're having. I mean, they're 14th, which is not a good league position, but hardly anyone is talking about them being in any way involved in the title race there eight points clear obviously did i say title you did yeah if they were eight <laughs> points clear in the title race that would be one hell of a season <laughs> yeah that'd be well after last season anything's possible as as everyone keeps saying um 
yeah, I mean, and it's been built on their record at home, hasn't it? Like they're they're a completely different proposition at home than they were than they are away. Obviously, they got a draw at Old Trafford away, but that game was easily the most ridiculous of the season. Yeah, freakish. Um, but at home, they 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 are. They're tricky, although Spurs went there and brushed them aside too now. Yeah, and United are going to have to do something similar. I mean, you know, every every game is a must-win game. Um, I, I'm not even sure if... I mean, OK, so if United win the next seven, they'll make the Champions League, um, not least because they'll have beaten City, uh, which probably will have to do. But games like this, it's, you know, there's just... There's no question, have to win this game. Have to, have to. Um, and so we'll have to go there positively. But you're, you're right; they've got a decent record at home, Burnley. They're they, uh, they're they're not in the relegation scrap. Maybe the edge will come off. Who knows? Probably not with United in town. Um, and of course, there's a couple of ex Reds in the the Burnley squad. There are. Who are Burnley's key threats, Ed? <laughs> uh, well, Robbie Brady, of course. Um, fine left foot that he has. Ex United player. Uh, uh, Sam Vokes, yeah, not had a great season, has he? Uh, the Welsh forward, it was supposed to be better than that. Ashley Barnes, who was a fantastic teenager, um, if you uh, if you remember that, um, and can on his day uh, be a real threat uh, in wide areas, not nearly as consistent as um, he should have been. Um, uh, at the back, of course, Michael Keane has had an outstanding season. Uh, always had it in him. Um, I think, you know, we always knew he was a really talented player and just didn't get the chance at United. Not sure he would have got the chance at United, to be fair. So, you know, had to move. Um, and, of course, uh, Tom Heaton, very fine goalkeeper, ex-United player. Of course, you could say they've got like three and a half ex-United players because uh, Stephen DeFore will be in midfield. And uh, as we were told many, many times, he was given a United shirt by Sir Alex himself. <laughs> um, the Michael Keane thing, whether or not he'd have got a chance at United, it still remains immensely frustrating that Van Hal prioritised Blackett and McNair ahead of Keane. Remains remains one of the baffling man's most baffling decisions. Yeah, I mean, you know, to be fair, for a couple of performances, Blackett looked very good, didn't he? Mm. That was about it, though, the couple yeah. of performances. And uh, maybe he's found his level now. Um, and McNair at Sunderland, yeah, hasn't played a lot and played in midfield when he did play. Um, Keane, Keen, though, looks has looked very at home in the Premier League this season and looked very at home... Uh, in the England team when he when he played for England recently as well. Yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely, and and it's I think it's going to be it's going to be a pretty challenging game for United. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To see well, anything, we, we should also mention his his partner in crime at the back, Ben Mee, has also had a very good season. Yeah. You know, the two of them have been excellent. Yeah, I mean they they can obviously like as their away performances have shown and the fact that they're you know they've only got 36 points this season that they're they're beatable but but really really it is it is away from home that they've that they've struggled the most like they in fact i i am going to as we speak if stato.com loads i'm going to look at the the table home and away yeah do that i mean i think the thing is that look they've got the crux of a a very good side that doesn't always perform Right, you know, so so in midfield they've got some decent balance. I mean, Robbie Brady will definitely give them that, that down the left. George Boyd, been there, done it, mainly at Championship level, of course. Hendrick can be a very talented midfielder. 
can be. You know, he's certainly good on the ball. Um, had a very good European Championships, didn't he, uh, in the summer. Um, and, uh, hmm, will Joey Barson play? Don't know, maybe. I mean, uh, he's 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 right up there with the uh, most dislikable footballers, isn't he? You know, not challenging Diego Costa just yet, but not far off. Yeah, I mean, if you so if you calculate it on points per game, then Burnley are currently seventh um, in in the league table for games just played at home. If you take it on overall points earned at home, they, they'd actually be sixth. Um, Man United ninth in that in that table, incidentally, uh, for for points per game, uh, very. Very, very average record. So Burnley seventh in the league on on home form and on away form, rock bottom of the league. Still not got a win away from home all season. So you know it would be very good. In fact, the, the draw at Old Trafford was one of only four draws, four points they've got away from home this season. So unbelievable. <laughs> well, believable. Yeah, enti- sadly. Entirely believable. Well, it tells you it'll be a challenging game on Sunday, not not least um, given the uh, given the uh, sort of Thursday Sunday dynamic doesn't always work well. Um, uh, so yeah, I, sure, and um, you know, fortunately they're seventh in that form table because United stink against the top six. <laughs> uh, seventh down, no problem. Um, the, the the kind of Thursday Sunday thing should be way way less of a problem than it has been, of course, because you know geography favours us on this one. Like, the, oh sure, not- yeah, they, they've got the the mile and a half from the Lowry to Old Trafford on uh, on Thursday and uh, the hotel that is. Uh, and um, and yeah, what well, you know, twenty miles or something on Sunday. Yeah, and it's a two fifteen kickoff, so not too early on the Sunday. So they've they've got what should be ample recovery time, really, or or you know, not not ample, but just about enough to to get by. Not that United are going to have a break at all uh, between now and the end of the season. You know, no. most Wednesdays are booked up. Um, and certainly, if United beat Anderlecht, uh, a couple more will be booked up. A couple more Thursdays. Yeah, a couple more Thursdays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's de- it's definitely going to be a challenging, uh, challenging time physically. Yeah, if United make the Europa League final, I think, if I counted correctly, it'll be sixty three games, which um, is the same number or same number or one more than the ninety nine season. It's a lot of games, and of course, after Burnley, and and I guess this will factor heavily into Burnley is the fact that the Wednesday after that uh, or maybe the Thursday might be the Thursday night City away so a, a massive massive run of games but we'll be back to uh, to talk to you about uh, the games in between and preview that City game we might get someone to talk about that from a City perspective as well um, talk about their season a bit it's kind of an interesting subject um, so uh, we should do score predictions you said 2-0 and elect Two nil and late, and uh, hmm, let's say one nil at Burnley. I'm gonna go for an optimistic two one, but the true, the, no, no, you know what? I'm gonna tell you what I actually think is gonna happen, and that's a very annoying one all draw. Oh yeah. wow, that's that's why I actually think. Wait, wait to burst I the mean, bubble, you know, Paul. It doesn't mean it's gonna happen, does it? Just I'm just giving the prediction that I actually think. Uh, so yeah alright well thank you very much for listening everyone I hope you've enjoyed the show it was a, a, it's lovely to talk about such a fantastic United performance again uh, it certainly was uh, yeah um, very exciting I almost did myself an injury celebrating the, the goals uh, haven't actually managed to celebrate 
too many times with that enthusiasm this season or in fact over the last three years you know not too many occasions when it's kind of felt that good uh we'd like more of that please jose if you're listening i really hope we get it next season. i really 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 hope that this time next year we're talking i mean obviously everyone hopes this but you know it'd be so nice to be talking about a title race again wouldn't it just yeah absolutely not just opening it up for another team but actually you know being in it ourselves. Anyway, that's a long way to go till this time next year and a lot of uh, rank cars between now and then. So uh, everyone take care of yourselves. If you're a backer, stay tuned. There's more coming. Thanks a lot. See you next week.